said Anna has been singing all morning for us. This is her second, and she'll be singing again next service, and appreciate that. It was beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And, um, you know, with that kind of mantra on our hearts for a moment of the God who is with us uh, through the storms as we do think about those whom we pray for, I do want to um, lift up um, Bob Crew. Some of you know Bob by name. Bob's usually, when we have the, the sections, we just obviously turn them around this week, but normally Bob was sitting right in front of me. Um, Bob, and he's part of this service almost every week, uh, Bob fell and broke his hip this week. And so he is, he's in Manatee. And if you know Bob, he would love um, guests or visitors as he's uh, recovering. And so, you know, feel free if, if you have a relationship with him to, to go up to Manatee and, and see him. But we want to pray for him. And also, uh, every fifth Sunday in the bulletin, as you see this morning, is the uh, offering envelope for our United Methodist Children's Home. That's in Deland, just kind of across the state. And and many of you are very faithful in supporting that. It is absolutely one of our most impactful ministries as United Methodists here in Florida. But I also want to use that as an opportunity to invite you to be in prayer for those young people, those kids that, that find a home there, and the adults that serve, and that's their ministry. And their ministry there, and, and our supporting ministry of that, is to provide a place for these children to come and to have a safe environment where they're loved and where they're nurtured and where they're, they, they experience Christ. And so um, I was thinking about this week because my daughter um, on team in, uh, in Leesburg with the, the counselors this summer, they worshiped there last week. And so, so keep that in your prayers as we continue to support that as we do uh, every, every fifth Sunday. So lift um, those things up. And I just did a double take. As I see, uh, and, and I didn't realize this before, I was, our, um, newest, our new district superintendent, Dan Jackson, is here this morning with his wife, and so we lift them up and, uh, and pray. I had to, I did, I did a catch. So um, anyway, so um, let's, uh, let's turn our attention this morning. Let me start with this, especially as we're, as we're talking about kids. When, when I was about seven, I guess seven years old, I was going into the first grade. So it was a summer before my first grade, um, my first grade year, when our family moved. We moved from Maitland, Florida, where my dad had been the associate at the church there in Maitland, moved to Jacksonville. And so we're, we're moving into this new neighborhood. I'm, you know, a kid trying to kind of get the the, adjusted to these new surroundings. And I, as any kid does, I wanted to make friends. I wanted to, I wanted to know who lived in the neighborhood and who, who I could connect to. And, and I tell my children, I said, that was in a time when you actually had to go outside to meet people. <laughs> and so, and so I, uh, I started riding my bike up and down the street and looking for kids to, to connect to. And I happened to meet a kid who lived at the end of the street. And um. I'm going to call him Jason, because that was his name, and, um, and Jason was the same age I was, and all the kids I'd met prior to that were a little younger, so Jason was, even though we were seven, he was the oldest kid in, on the block, and so I thought, okay, I want to be Jason's friend, because we're the same age, and so I met Jason, and Jason said to me, he said, I'll be your friend, but you have to pay me. I wish I was making this up. This was a seven-year-old. 
So being the incredibly confident and well-grounded young man that I was, I went home and I went in my dad's closet and I grabbed his binoculars in the binocular case and I took the binoculars out and then I went to what we called the bin. They kept, my mom and dad kept this change bin in their closet. He's going to love this story next service when I tell it. And because um, I don't know if he knows this story. And I filled the thing up with change. And I went and I took it to Jason and I gave it to him so he would be my friend. And I cringe as I tell the story. You know, and Jason and I ended up getting along for most of the seven years that we lived there. But it wasn't the best way to start. But I was thinking about that because it speaks to this nature, this, this human tendency we all have. This impulse to want to be popular, to want to be liked. I mean, I, I don't think if I said, hey, how many of you would prefer not anybody to like you? That any of you would raise your hand. If you do, we need to talk later. Um, but we have that. And, and we will do sometimes ridiculous things, even at age seven, to try to win popularity. And it doesn't change as we get older. It doesn't change as technology changes. You know that there are sites out there. I look this up. And some of you may be aware of this. There are sites where you can buy popularity in a social media age. There's a site called Social, Socially Up that for $30 you can buy 500 likes for your Instagram or Facebook post. <laughs> Those of you that are social media. Yeah, you can do it. For $700 you can get 20,000 likes. Uh, there, fan Me Now. Fan Me Now you can spend $10 and you can get 1,000 Twitter followers if you would like Twitter followers, or for $1,750, you can buy a million Twitter followers. And the last one was um, 500views.com. For $150, you can spend money so your YouTube video will get 30,000 views. And if you want to spend over $3,000, you can get 1 million views on your YouTube. It's a desire to pay people. Now, I, there's monetary value in some of that beyond what I fully comprehend because I'm not a social media um, junkie. But, but the point is, there is this inherent desire to be popular, this inherent desire to be liked. We turn today to the Gospels. And in contrast, what we see is an example among many where the least of Jesus' concerns is popularity. The least of his concerns is winning the crowd, if you will. And, and we're going to look at the text, and then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that and what we learn here. So we, we turn to Luke chapter 9. We pick it up at verse 51. Just a few verses in the midst of, of this chapter, and this is what we read. It says, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, give us open hearts. In these moments that you would speak to us, through these words, through your word, through our worship and our time together, speak to us, challenge us. 
to be the people that you have called us to be. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. So, so here's the contrast for me. At a time in life when most of us want to see the trajectory of our popularity increase, and I know sometimes we hit a stage in life where we don't care about that anymore, but for most of us, you know, in our early years, we want to see that increase. What we see in Jesus, what we see in the example of Jesus' life as, as his ministry progresses, as his teaching progresses, is Jesus begins to lose popularity. Jesus begins to lose and lose the, uh, the affection of the crowd, if you will. There's an interesting little verse in this that when Jesus was going through this Samaritan village, this area, they didn't want him. They didn't want him to stop. He was going to Jerusalem, and there's tension there that we'll unpack at another time. But there, there's this tension. But they say, no, go on. Just don't stop here. We don't want any part of this. And, and think back to last week when we talked about Jesus and the healing of the, uh, the man possessed by the demons. Remember the response of the, of the town there on the other side, the, the Gesserine uh, village, or the area where they were. Go away. We don't want any part of that. As, as Jesus, as his teachings get more challenging, as he calls his disciples and others to a more radical commitment, people begin to fall away. John chapter 6, verse 66, after some of Jesus' tough teachings, it says, just a little line, says, and most of his disciples walked away, choosing to follow him no more. Jesus doesn't focus on popularity. That's one of those verses that is challenging for a pastor because we tend to get excited when more people come. We tend to get really um, a sense of, of worth and fulfillment by, by increased numbers. And, and growth is important, and growth matters. But it's challenging when you look. Jesus, the trajectory of Jesus' ministry was the opposite. As he moves closer to Jerusalem, and that's the real focal point here. It says in the text, it says that Jesus resolutely set out to Jerusalem. The, the little translation there is he set his face to Jerusalem. He set his life on a course and a direction that takes him to the very place that had anybody known how the story was going to go, as he does, they would have said, don't go there. Don't go in that direction. And because of that, because of that commitment, because of that, that, that just single-minded focus on what God had called him to do, he loses the popularity and the, the approval of the crowd. He gets to Jerusalem. Remember that Holy Week. He gets a big parade on the way in, but by the end of the week, they had all left. By the time they got a chance to really hear what he had to say, they really weren't interested anymore. Jesus was focused, single-minded. He was focused to what had caught, God had called him to do. And it would have been interesting if the disciples had any idea of where this, court, this road was really taking them, what they might have said. It would have been fascinating to them because they think Jesus is going to Jerusalem, which is the political and the religious center of, of the world for them of Israel, they think he's going to establish a kingdom, an earthly kingdom. And in fact, right before these verses, they're arguing over who gets to be the greatest in that kingdom. They're arguing over who gets the popular seat, who gets to be the most loved and beloved. And, and it betrays the sense they don't understand, but Jesus does. He knows he's going not to be lifted up, but to suffer and die. He knows where this road 
will lead, and he chooses to go anyway. I was watching an interview, um, a 60-minute interview. This was a few years ago. And uh, Scott Shelley was the reporter, and he was interviewing a man by the name of um, Christian uh, Picciolini, who was a former white supremacist, a neo-Nazi. And he had left that life, and he had committed himself to not only speaking against that kind of hatred, but to, in some ways, rescuing others from the trap of those kind of hate groups. And in the midst of that broader story, there was an interview with a man by, by the name of Dean Cabot. Uh, Dean Cabot had also been a neo-Nazi white supremacist and had left that life and was trying to right the wrongs of his past. And Scott Shelley asked him, said, um, are you there? Have you severed the ties or are you still in process? And he said, no, I'm, I'm out. And he said, this interview is the last step. And Scott Shelley said, well, what do you mean by the last step? And he said, after this interview, if I try to go back now, they will kill me. If I try to go back now, they will kill me. And, and I read that and I thought, that's that kind of single-minded focus. That's that kind of resolution, if you will, of spirit that says that this is the course, even at, my own, at risk of my own well-being, at risk of my own safety, this is the right course. This is the faithful course. He was committed to that. And far greater extent, that's what we see in Jesus. We see this absolute look of commitment, resolute and ready to go where the will of God led and to face faithfully whatever that would mean, to, to be obedient, to be obedient to that call of God upon his life. And, and as we do that, as we, as we see this image, and, and I kind of picture this image, this single-minded focus of Christ, it should challenge us. It should absolutely challenge us to ask us, to ask ourselves as we follow the one who set his face to Jerusalem, where do we set our face? What, what is it that focuses us in the direction that we move? Because where you look is where you go. Where, where your, your eyes are fixed is, is where you are going. The problem is many of us, um, our heads are on swivels. You know? I, I was riding in the car, uh, this was a couple months ago, when Ryan, our son, was down. And we have a rule in our house that if you are driving, you control the radio. Driver controls the radio. So I was, you know, listening to, to music that, that I wanted to listen to. And Ryan's sitting there. And he finally said, Dad, he's like, you drive me crazy. And I said, well, son, there's probably a whole um, menu of things that would fit that bill. What is it specifically I'm doing now to drive you crazy? And he said, you don't finish a song. He said, you, don't, you listen to half a song and then you move on to another song. And I would never realized I do this, but I do. And this is why. Because I start listening to a song, even if I like it, and I go, but there might be a better song on another station. <laughs> and I don't want to miss the better song. So I start bouncing all around. Drives, I, I didn't realize how much this bothered everybody in my family. Now I enjoy it. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, but that's kind of the way I started thinking about that. Isn't that the way that a lot of times our lives operate? We, we kind of get interested here, and, and then this gets our attention. And then we look over there, and we're, our, our gaze. I have a friend of mine, 
whose son um, has um, ADHD, and, uh, and, and I don't mean in any way to make light of ADHD, but they have a, he has a jersey, a soccer jersey, and on the back it says squirrel. And I said, well, where did he get the name squirrel? And, and his mother said to me, have you ever seen a kid with ADHD? You know, the squirrel. They're just looking all over the place all the time. And so they kind of made it into a kind of a funny, uh, lighthearted family, not joke, but, but kind of a, a good-natured teasing. And, and I think that's what we do. You know, we kind of get our heads. We're looking all over the place. Jesus challenges us to fix our eyes upon him, to fix our eyes in the same way that Jesus did toward faithfulness because where we're looking is where we go. Tony Robbins, the motivational speaker, he talks about uh, learning to drive race cars. I guess that's one of his things. And he said he had to learn how to handle a skid. Um, so most of us have probably had a skid just on the road at some point or another, but he was learning how to handle one on a race course. And, and the instructor told him that you, he said, the mistake that people make is when they go into a skid, they look at the wall because they look to what they're afraid of. And instantly, they start moving in that direction. You've got to look where you want to go, because where you're looking is where you'll move. And so he was doing a controlled spin to learn how to handle this. And he said when he hit the spin, he started looking to the wall. And he said the instructor reached up and grabbed him by the chin and just turned, swiveled his head around. So they'd look away from the wall to the way he wanted to go. And instinctively, that's the way he started to move. Now, I don't know anything about race cars, so those of you that do that can tell me how much that holds up, but I do know this, we tend to move the way we look. Jesus challenges us to look in a direction that moves us toward faithfulness, that moves us toward fearlessness, because that's what Jesus modeled for us. It's not always about what Jesus says, sometimes it's about also looking to who he was and what he showed us by his actions. And so Jesus resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem, resolute and ready. Are we resolute and ready? Are we determined and focused on that which matters most? Because that's what Jesus wants us to be. In fact, the next verses, I should have really read these. The next thing that happens in this encounter is Jesus goes to another village. The disciples, you know, they, they do that. Can, you want us to rain down fire on the Samaritans, which shows they really have no concept yet of what the kingdom of God looks like. And it is an interesting side note that he gets... Rejected here, the very next chapter, Jesus tells a parable. And remember who the hero of the parable was? The good Samaritan. That's an interesting connection that I never thought much about. But as they move into this next village, he has three encounters with would-be disciples. One says, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, okay, but birds have nests, foxes have dens, son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Meaning this is not the road of comfort and luxury. The next one comes and says, well, uh, you know, Jesus calls him, says, be my disciple. Only time Jesus offers this invitation and it's not accepted. Because the man says, well, I will, but let me go bury my father first. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. You come and follow me. The next one says, I'll follow you, but first let me go say goodbye to my family. And Jesus says, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And what Jesus is saying is you, you don't get to kind of have a foot in both worlds. And it sounds pretty harsh and there's some nuance there. But Jesus is saying, this is a... This is a a priority focus. You can't have your head on a swivel. You must make a decision to follow in the direction of the thing that is most important. And Jesus says, the most important for you should be to follow me. The question is, where are we looking? Where's, where's your attention set? Where's your, where's your focus? What is it that moves you forward in life? What are the priorities of your life? 
Jesus calls us to faithfulness and fearlessness. In 1932, roughly, a woman by the name of um, Gladys Allward, Allward uh, answered a call to go into missions. She's uh, a housemaid in London, had very little money, very little education, but she wanted to respond to what she believed God was calling her to do. She wanted to be faithful. So she decided to go to serve in China. And it was a time when the, the easiest way to get to China was by boat, but she didn't have the money for that. So she took a train all the way into really what amounts to um, eastern, kind of the central eastern part of China. And it was a very dangerous trip. And she got there and she began her mission work. In 1938, the Japanese invi invaded China. She led 100 orphans into the mountains to protect them and began an orphanage there that would become the dominant focus of her life and her ministry. And this woman with very little education, very little resources, she was faithful and would lead her to speak at churches all over Europe. She got to meet the queen. And in a book was written about her life, and in 1958, the, the book was turned into a movie called The Inn of the Sixth Happiness. Where's, did I get that right? Where, where'd she go? Oh, there you go. Did I get it right? The Inn of... This, the end of the sixth happiness, it starred Ingrid Bergman. But she, reflecting on her life, I thought it was interesting. She, she said something. She said, I wasn't God's first choice. But I don't know who the first choice was. But he or she either was dead or unavailable. So God just looked upon me. And I think she sells herself short. But I think it does speak to something. She was faithful. She was willing. It wasn't because she felt she was the most talented, gifted, certainly was not the most resourced, but she was willing to be faithful. She was willing to be faithful. She was willing to set her face upon the direction that she believed Christ was calling her in the same way that Jesus had set him, his face toward Jerusalem, to be faithful. And when we do that, we're able to move forward with courage, same way that Jesus does. Kenneth Bailey was a preacher and a speaker t taught Middle Eastern um, uh, Christianity and would travel the world speaking. And he told a story, this was again years ago, of being in Latvia. And he was speaking at a, a Lutheran church there. And he was able to sit in on some interviews with ministerial candidates. And one of the questions they asked him, which he thought was very interesting, they said, were you baptized before 19, or no, they, I'm sorry, they asked him, they said, when were you baptized? They asked the candidate, when were you baptized? And so later on, he was talking to the, the leaders of the church. He said, why do you ask that question? Why does that matter? And he said, well, because in, I believe, 1940, Latvia was overtaken by the Soviet Union. And between 1940 and 1991, um, Christianity was against the law. Atheism was the, the dominant worldview. And in 1991, Latvia was libera li liberated. And so we ask them, when you were baptized, because if they were baptized before 1991, we know that there was a radical commitment and a faithfulness because they were baptized at a time that you could lose your life for being a Christian. If they were baptized after 1991, we have some additional questions. We have some additional questions because to be baptized prior to that was to step out fearlessly, step out in courage and faith. Now, again, we don't face that risk. By God's blessing, we don't. But we're called to no less to the fearlessness and, and the faithfulness 
of, of setting our eyes to the direction and the call that Christ has upon our life. Because when we do, we begin. This isn't because you will be blessed. It's because when you do that, you get to be a blessing. It's not that God will pour blessing upon you. God will pour blessing through you to begin to impact and bless others and to make a difference. That's what we're called to be. Our prayer always is, Lord, if we're going to pray to be blessed, then our prayer is bless us so that we can bless others. That's what it looks like when we begin to follow Christ in a path of resolution and readiness. That's what Jesus models for us. That's an example of, of faithfulness that, it, that is inherent in who he is and was. That's who we're called to be. That becomes our challenge. Really, it comes to this. Where's your gaze set? What is it that is most important to you? Because that's the direction your life will move. For Jesus, that was faithfulness and fearlessness. Resolute and ready. Resolute and ready. Jesus was resolute and ready. The question for us is, are we? Let's pray. Lord God, we would open our, our hearts to, to you speaking the words that would challenge us, the words that would move us into paths of faithfulness and, and obedience, to, to see the example of Christ as he set his face to Jerusalem and to follow in the way of Christ wherever you would set our face, that we would seek to bless others as we have been so deeply blessed. Lord, speak to us, challenge us, and use us according to your purpose and call. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. So what becomes our strength for that journey?